Hi, this message is for the wheel nerds, Todd and Chuck. We're going to file an injunction against you. It's going to be $2 million per infringement. You guys got three infringements. If I were you, I would take it off the Internet immediately. Immediately. If you don't take it off the Internet, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm promising you, I'm going to sue your asses. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 109. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. I've, I've got to go to the bathroom. Oh, what? You could have gone before the show. I, I, I've got to go. I'm, I'm, okay. a, I'm a middle-aged dude. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll wait here. I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah. Come on, Bella. Okay. Um, all right. Now, the funny thing about this is I just learned online from our friend Charlie that uh, Chuck's toilet is actually something I can hack with my phone. So we'll just... Uh, do a few things here, and then we'll wait just a second, and I think it's time to clamp. Oh, yeah. Uh, bidet. I'm sure it's fine. Um, what's this button do? Mm, we'll just close the app. Let's go, porn. Okay. Oh. You know, uh... You don't want to use my bathroom. Okay, I'll use the downstairs one then. Yeah, just saying. All right. I told you this, that toilet was hard to operate. I know you Japanese people like your computerized toilets and everything, but... But there's an app! I set it on the app. There is, huh? It's supposed to be like a comfortable way to what did you do. Where's your phone? Let's move on. Let's talk about motorcycles. I have a burn! I have a... Call tech support. <laughs> Damn you. I won't be able to ride my bike. Oh, boy. So did you did you miss your toilet when you were on the road this last week? Um, Yeah. I mean, you saw the room. Right? You saw. Did you see the picture of the room I posted? No, I didn't. Oh, God, it's a murder room. Mm-hmm. Um, that good, huh? Well, you know, it's probably affordable. So if you go to, I'll post a link in the show notes, but I've posted all the pictures from AmeriCade onto um, Flickr. So this is where I stayed in, in um, Lake George, New York. That looks like every basic hotel built in the, you know, that time that period area, in the area. That area yeah, that's a, Which, you know, has a sort of Bates Motel wood paneling feel about it. The, the Dore, they were the very, very nice people. Uh huh. Indian people who ran the place. Mm-hmm. The place smelled fantastic every mm-hmm. night around dinner. Good. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And <laughs> we'd be on the door just, hi. Can I come in? Hey, with you. Hi. Room service. Reverse room service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, to, to me, it seems like uh, it's just what old, old hotels in the East look like. It's been a long time since I've been in a place like that, yeah. or, or seen a place like that. Well, I've never been to really stayed in the east, so mm-hmm. yeah, that was a new thing. All that paneling and stuff, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was nice though. I've stayed in more than one place like that. How many people did you kill? No more than usual. See, I was afraid to like move the rug over the carpet because mm-hmm. there might have been a blood stain. <laughs> Could be. Could be. But you're pretty good about cleaning those things up. That's one of the nice things about the East Coast, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, the other great thing was pizza. I ate a lot of pizza. Yes, there is good pizza there. I, we are sadly lacking in pizza here in the West. I ate a lot of pizza. Good, greasy, <laughs> thin, crispy pizza. 
it was hard to come by. So should we just launch into AmeriCade altogether? I think we launched into AmeriCade altogether. So right. tell me about AmeriCade, man. Okay, so I, I was there. I flew in Thursday night, like at midnight. Mm-hmm. Drove an hour out of Albany to this place, to Lake George. Mm-hmm. Checked in. So I had Friday and Saturday there. Mm-hmm. Friday, um, James from The Pace is a gigantic wussy. And yeah. he fled as soon as I arrived. Uh-huh. Yeah. Too scared to, to face me. Not even his beard gave him the confidence to do to not up a, to you. Not even his beard. He was, he's less of a man, really, when mm-hmm. it comes down to. Less yeah. of a man. He's, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a giant coward, mm-hmm. a yellow belly, mm-hmm. wiener. Wien, hides under his bed, probably mm-hmm. sleeps with a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. When the light's on. Crying. Yeah. Sucking his thumb. Makes sense. Milk probably lactates out of his nipples. That's, that's what mm. I'm saying. Facts bear that out. Mm. Um, so Quentin, who had been kind of running interference for us for America, mm-hmm. um, he was, I ran to him quite a few times. Yeah. He was, uh, you know, doing his volunteer duty. Um, huge, huge event. I, th- thousands and thousands of motorcycles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you, after being to the IMS and being, to overland, this was this a whole was, nother this animal. Was, this was like the kickstand club had reached critical wow. mass. This is this picture I'm showing you is the main I, street of. Lake I George. recognized the street immediately. It did not have that many friggin' motorcycles. Oh, have you on. been to Lake George? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's Canada Street. Yeah. Main drag. Why? That's that's what it looked like at night. <laughs> wow. Bikes, 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 bikes. And somebody scary parks next to you, and you're like, oh god. It's just, oh god! The the sidewalks are packed. This oh, this roads are packed. I drunkenly stumbled it in a fast food place there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good food. Good food. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's incredible. It's just, it's really like the kickstand club had reached this critical mass mm-hmm. and just exploded all over the town. And too big, really mm-hmm. too big. Yeah. I mean, we our infrastructure cannot support that many motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> really. It's, it's just not good. <laughs> as much as I love it, I just I could see why in daily life that just wouldn't work. <laughs> but it was so, all kinds of there was Harley's, cruisers, mm-hmm. metrics, sport bikes. Yeah, I mean I can see like three kinds of bikes in this picture: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. adventure bikes, uh, hipster bikes, the Can Am Club. You name it, it's there. You know, and, and this is nighttime during the day. It's the same kind of scene. Mm-hmm. In fact, I missed some of my demo rides because the traffic was so bad that the demos were taking too long to come in and out. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But uh, wow. it was, this is kind of cool. I thought you'd appreciate that. Oh, neat. Somebody's uh, retrofitted a bike with an engine. This is one of the popular hipster things to do, but this one is particularly cool looking, mm-hmm. I have to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've done a good job with it. Um, but yeah, all kinds of weird stuff. All kinds of weird stuff. These the T Rex. These things. The, this is a thing. This is a thing. Okay, T Rex. It's it. a tadpole trike. It's uh, you know, sort of spider like, mm-hmm. but more car like on the sides. Yeah, yeah there's... it's basically designed to be sort of a sports car kind of affair. Okay, there's quite a few of these things, variations of it. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're terribly expensive, and there's not very many of them. They're fancy. Yeah, I yeah. that. No doubt about it. Um, this I wanted to show you. Oh, it's a, uh, looks to be a, is that a Bergman with training wheels? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a Bergman with training wheels. Yeah, it's a four-wheel yeah. scooter. <laughs> I've heard about, I heard about these training wheel setups where you, t- you get the two wheels outboard of the back wheel. Uh-huh. I'd never seen one before. 
That's what have you heard about them? Because I was confused. I, I'm assuming that basically it means you don't have to run, you don't have to refit the shaft and stuff because you still drive from that rear wheel. Yeah, so those are just those outriggers. are just there to have outriggers, basically. And yeah, he's got a, a trailer ball on it, so yeah. So there you go. There's a lot of people, you know, of course, with trailers and stuff. That's, yeah, that's not surprising. Cool. Not surprising. Um, okay, so test test rides. Test, test rides. rides. Um, I test rode three bikes. Okay. Um, so the one, the, the big one was the FZ09. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one looked pretty spiffy. That was the first bike I took out. It was a mistake. Okay. I made the same mistake I always make mm-hmm. where I grab the, the hottest bike I want to ride mm-hmm. and that's the first thing I yeah, ride in the morning. Ride. Like riding the speed triple first. <laughs> right, right. I'm like stumbling out like, okay, let's get on it. And, and the, and the FZ09, um, I, I, I said it on Facebook. The FZ09 is basically a really hot prom date in a short skirt, mm-hmm. and she's sneaking a flask in under it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that good, huh? It's, it's a ride. Gotcha. Um, it's pretty neat. All the ergos. It's got a single LCD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very little fancy startup. I guess, you know how the Multistrava does that fancy startup? <laughs> yep. More bikes are doing that now. Hmm. The FZ09 okay. did it. The new Strom does it. Mm-hmm. Well, the old Strom did it. It just didn't show you it was doing it. Okay. It makes all sorts of weird boring and clicky noises while it primes things and all that. Okay. Well, this, I mean, it goes through like this. It lights every crystal on the display for a second. Oh, wow. Like okay. sweeps across it. Oh, interesting. The way, you know, the Multistrom does. Mm-hmm. just lights yeah. everything up and then turns it off. Yeah. The SEO 9 does that. Very cool. Has three modes. Mm-hmm. Um, s- standard and then A, B. A is hot. B is not as hot. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it in standard and A. Mm-hmm. I probably should have tried out B. Bike is kind of scary. Gotcha. <laughs> little little umph to it. Little umph to it. Kind of scary. <laughs> but uh, man, it was it was a nice ride. The ergos mm-hmm. were were right. The seat kind of sucked. Sure. The seat's a plank. Um, but hands, legs, ergos all felt right. Res- responsive as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, brakes, gas is is just it was a fun fun ride. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it's probably something I should have saved for the end of the day after I'd warmed up. Mm-hmm. All the manufacturers were, were following the same demo route. Mm-hmm. They take you out of town, pop on the freeway, go and exit down, and then take back a twisty on, back. Yeah. And then back into the, the fuck-all traffic mm-hmm. nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the bike's like in terrible traffic, full of dummies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was cool. I rode that, and I was cool. just like... Yes. So the thing I the thing about the FZ9, like in, in mechanically and the engine and everything, it looks totally sexy. Mm-hmm. The thing I think about it is, is I get it, and like all naked bikes, it'd be like, this is really cool. I, I kind of want it a little less naked, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm on the point right now where I want, a, a, there's a hole in my life for mm-hmm. a naked middleweight bike. Ligony kind of mm-hmm. bike. I mean, mm-hmm. the Ulysses is cool as fuck, kind of big. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're all... I mean, it's not that big. But, Euro's just you know. different. <laughs> yeah. Euro's a boat. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, you know, something I smaller, middleweight, naked, maybe fared, mm-hmm. semi-fared. Yeah. Something fun to just hop on. Just buzz around on. Mm-hmm. This bike is, is that bike. Gotcha. It is so much that bike. Cool. Um, I went from there, and I went up to Suzuki's tent, and I rolled the new Strom. The new Beekstrom. Mm-hmm. Okay. The new Beaky Strom. So you've ridden an old Strom, and you've ridden the Beekstrom now. Right. And um, I went into it. You know, we I, we we looked at Web Bike World's review, and mm-hmm. they were disappointed. James from the Pace said he was pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. So I went into this ride with that in my head and having rode your Strom. Mm-hmm. So the, the new Strom is essentially 
your old girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She's lost some weight. Mm-hmm. She's changed the way she's dressed. She wants you to buy her a reasonable dinner, and she won't do any of the kinky stuff. Okay. All right. But on the other hand, she's a known comfortable quantity. Gotcha. So this is it. So it's, it's kind of what we were thinking. It's the, the DL1000 with some, you know, minor upgrades. Minor upgrades. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, the seat was comfortable. I mean, I felt that was the first thing I noticed, um, halfway through the ride was the seat feels good because mm-hmm. my butt was still kind of sore from the FC. Sure. Yeah. Um, you get on the throttle on the thing. And go. It's a engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. You can tell, I can tell you're riding something fast before because that's not usually an engine you describe as, eh. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, like I said, it, it's sort of, it's got the power and it's got the responsiveness, but mm-hmm. it's not like that. Sure. Yeah. It's not like being uh-huh. kicked in the ass by the right. foot of God. <laughs> right. But I mean, going through that same route, it was a lot more comfortable and mm-hmm. a lot more confidence inspiring mm-hmm. than, the Yamaha was. Sure. Okay. Um, All right, so kind of what we, tracks with what we know about the new. It the new felt strong. like the strong. Yeah. Um, and then I rode the GW250. Ooh. Ooh, the baby king. The baby king. I was the only guy who rode that bike. Really? Yeah, because they had to pull, really? they had to pull demo plates off one of the other bikes to put it on. And they wheeled it out from around the corner. Well, I, I'm now, shocked. It was for that day. They might have, it might have seen some riding during the week, but uh-huh. that day I was the only one to ride. <laughs> I'm baffled <laughs> because I rode late in the day, and that was mm-hmm. one. And Suzuki was so far behind in their rides, I was probably the last one to ride. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was kind of shocking to me too. Yeah, it was a tiny, tiny bike. <laughs> and the first bike that got behind me, because I ended up being in the lead rider, mm-hmm. was uh, Abusa. <laughs> He's like, oh boy. <laughs> so much for accelerating on the highway. Um, the GWs remind me a lot of the Ninja. Mm-hmm. Um, it's friendly. It's comfortable. It's a naked bike. It's got a lot of the same um, aesthetic qualities as the FZ09. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to wring its neck to make it go anywhere. Sure, yeah. I can't make any misogynistic comparisons about it without mm-hmm. it getting kind of weird because mm-hmm. it's such a small bike. Sure. <laughs> but it, it's a great bike. Cool. Um, on the test ride, as soon as we started into the twisties, I waved the Busa ahead of me mm-hmm. and then stayed on his ass the entire time. <laughs> Just to be a jackass. <laughs> hi, hi. How are things? <laughs> Not to be a jackass, I expected him to go, but he didn't go. He's just like <laughs> he sat in front of me with his signal blinking the whole time. Oh my god! And I sat off his wheel with one hand in the air, going like this the whole time, <laughs> going through the corners. I'm yeah. pretty sure I could hear the the uh, the tail rider um, laughing his ass laughing off. his ass off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, yeah, that bike, super super confidence inspiring. Cool. Very flickable. I mean, you mm-hmm. just throw it around curves and it just asks for more. Awesome. Um, but you do have to keep it way the fuck up there. So no, very, very ninja like in character. Right. I was no. going to try to ride the Ninja 3 and mm-hmm. the and Ninja 650. Couldn't do it because Suzuki was running so slow. Ah. <laughs> so what you're saying is sabotage. I think so. I think Suzuki knew what I was doing. Because mm-hmm. I like, don't you go over to Kawasaki now. Because uh, one, one of the things you'll notice. Um, is when you sign up for a demo. Back, back, back through the pictures. No, no, come back, back, a little more, a little more, 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 more. Stop. Forward. 
Ooh, Hannigan was there. Yeah, Hannigan was there, right next to Ural. <laughs> cool. That's harsh. <laughs> we could, so when you sign for your demo ride, you get a wristband. Uh-huh. And I had like a whole stack Stack of wristbands and they were color coded so clearly Suzuki people saw all the green wristbands and Mm -hmm. were like oh yeah 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 this this ride's taking longer so Mm -hmm. you have to wait it was nice and it was interesting to watch um the the Suzuki people talk an older couple through the Strom Mm -hmm. because they'd never been on one I think they were cruiser folks yep cruiser folk (laughs) All the, the LCD stuff on this was, mm-hmm. was con- scaring and confusing them. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't understand what the big menu button was for. <laughs> but, uh, oh, mm-hmm. one cool thing about the, the Suzuki, best way I've seen yet that they've implemented an adjustable windshield that isn't power. Really? It just rocks. You just reach up, rock it. Hmm. And it just clicks into where it goes. Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It is really cool. I mean, if you don't have a BMW power screen, that was the second best way. It kills what Matt's dad does as far as adjustability. Awesome. I mean, you don't have the infinite adjustability of Matt's dad, but you just reach up, you're like, click, 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 click. But yeah, oh, that's was, cool. It was way cool. Very cool. I, I love that about that bike. Mm. Um, and the Strom, you know, I, for what it was, I could see it replacing, uh, the Buell. Mm-hmm. The Buell goes up in a giant ball of fire. Yep. Yep. You know. Cool. Depending on kind of price point between that and say like a Super 10 or, you know, something else, whatever Honda's bringing. Yep. Makes sense. Um, I didn't ride a Euro, but I got to spend a lot of time at the Euro 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know this, but there's just one dude that is basically driving that van around. Driving with, the Euro van around. With, yeah. And he's, wow. he's giving people test rides. Huh. That's sort of neat. Uh, it, Good job. It could be sort of neat. Um, things happen. Things uh, happen? Th- things happen. Things happen like what? Um, like sometimes, um, I, and I didn't do this. Somebody did, oh no! <laughs> this was Somebody, uh, uh, smashed the sidecar into something. Into a guardrail. Oh man. <laughs> and oh, that's a 14. Man. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, he That's smashed sad. it, uh, so it's got a dent there, yep. and the fender also has a dent in it. Oh, and they said when you tried to run it again, mm-hmm. smoke started coming out of the, the harness. <laughs> That's not good. Yeah. There's some, some, there's some things grounded, grounded out yeah. to that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I guess that's the that's the danger with something as strange as a Ural. I'm assuming then Hannigan wasn't uh, giving out any rides, but they're insanely fancy sidecars. I didn't see Hannigan move. Okay. Um, as far as I know, only Euro and Ducati in, in the exhibit area, of, they were not in manufacturer row. Interesting. Area. They were in just a regular vendor thing. Okay. And they were doing test rides from, from hmm. the sound of it. I mean, Quentin told me about Ducati doing it. I saw the Euro one doing it because I was hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting thing about the Euro tent, he was partnered there with um, the closest Euro dealer, mm-hmm. who is also a Harley dealer, mm-hmm. and he also sells imports. And he would just give me this really coy smile every time I asked him how he got away with that. <laughs> I'm like, do the Harley guys not, you know, I mean, does, does Harley not come to your dealership to see these Yamahas think, and stuff? I think I know the place, and I think it's that he's got, got a building divided into three pieces. Okay. He was just smiling. He was like, no, no, they're out there every week. <laughs> and they're cool with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but the, oh yeah, so that, that's what it looks like. So you're covered in wristbands. Covered in wristbands, like I'm drinking at a bar. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Very I, cool. I liked the 250. It was cool. I wish I could have rode the 300 mm-hmm. just to see. Yeah. Um, I would have liked a little more power out of it. Well. Um, now is this this is a uh, is it a twin or a single? It looks like I a twin think, from the pipes. I think it's a twin. But I guess I would have assumed it was just the T-Dub engine in a sportier bike, which yeah. is a single. So I don't know. I don't know. Hard um, to say. I would have just like a smidge more. Mm-hmm. But that said, it was a lot of fun to just to, to ride. It made me miss having a small displacement bike like that. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe like that. a 500 or something. I, Harley had their representatives. Pigs, of Pigs. course, eventually. Uh, Indian was doing very brisk business as far as demo rides. Oh, cool. Beak on the strong. So wrong. So many <laughs> levels. So wrong. Um, so I was hanging out a lot with the Euro guy. Mm-hmm. And, cool. And uh, like I said, he he's the, he's the factory guy. Okay. Rides around with a bunch of Euros in his van mm-hmm. doing demos. Show up at the big events. Yeah, or dealers. He'll show up at dealers and, and do it. Mm-hmm. So, so now you didn't get to ride a Euro. No, um, get to see the 2014s, which probably look similar, just apart from the slight fuel injection difference. There's a fuel injection difference, um, the disc brakes, the disc brakes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the the Dapner steering Dapner. Oh yeah, that's right. They don't have the stupid squeezy one now. There's a, a hydraulic one. Right. I was looking at all that stuff, and I was like, how hard would it be to put that stuff on mine? <laughs> the disc brakes nearly impossible. Yeah. The fuel injection also no, yeah, impossible. No, yeah. Dampener, easy. It, I mean. He, well, well, I'm I'm hoping we can get David from Euro and, and possibly Ilya, some other people to come on cool. the show in the future. That'd so, be great. Yeah, talk a lot more about it. They gave me a, or David gave me a ton of brochures and stickers. I actually still have a stack of them someplace. Yeah, I mentioned they that keep you sending were, me new ones. I, I mentioned that you were in, in the the ambassadorship mm-hmm. program. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, this is what we give them here. Take it. Here you go. Are you sure? Go forth and market for us. <laughs> Uh, there was also the the stretched ruckuses made it. Made it oh place. my god, a whole was, we never did. We got a stretch ruckuses. There was a club, club of yeah. stretch. Whoa, there's a stretched ruckus. Yeah, it's orange and black. Yeah, and that, stretched. I didn't get to see him. Quentin saw them and, and he sent me this picture. But yeah, they were hanging out. Wow. He was like, yeah, they have this tent up by the Holiday Inn. You should go in. I, was like, I don't want to walk. <laughs> I don't want to walk that far <laughs> to go see stretched ruckus. Ruckai. Ruckie. Rucks. Rutgers. Oh, I want a DNA test between you and Lee Parks. What? That dude is either your father or your older brother. <laughs> For real? I shit you not. Dude, I, I I kept wanting to just punch him in the face while I was talking to him. <laughs> uh, what? He, his mannerisms, his expressions, his tone of voice, everything he does is you. Okay, that's a little creepy. You, if you, we put you two together, you'd either like make out or kill each other. <laughs> and he talks about the same kind of stuff you do. Every, every, like over and over, he kept talking about you know new businesses, I new business ideas, how he's trying to monetize this, what he's doing on this. Just like over, oh, his mind was just like firing, cockamamie ideas. ideas nonstop, nonstop. There's no turning it off, Chuck. He was showing me the new products, mm-hmm. like he's got earplugs now. Cool. No, you take my money. <laughs> Here's a twenty. We didn't cover this, but you, he came. He went to the U. He graduated from the U here. Huh? That's what I'm saying, dude. Somewhere yeah. there's some there's there's something. Yeah. I was trying to figure. He was like, "Is Todd Midwest?" I'm like, "No." Was he raised Jewish? I'm like, "I don't think so." <laughs> like, oh, you know, 
And then he would like try to think about it, and I'm like, "You're doing it. You're doing what he does." <laughs> Making the Todd face. <laughs> or when I would say something, to, I I forgot what we were talking about. I I said something, and he looked at me with this particular expression. And he said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I, like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> You think you're being clever, but I know what you're doing. So, yeah, yeah Lee Parks is apparently Adam's evil twin, or he's you, and he might be you. He's a time traveler. You're a time traveler. Nonsense. This all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't the only one having fun. Yeah, yeah, I was down in Durango actually this weekend. Yeah, it was the uh, the beginner biker get together, yearly yep. get together and ride. Yeah, it was a strange one this year. We were uh, we were all standing at a campsite and everybody camped, which was cool. A uh, mm-hmm. nice change from the usual. A lot of people get hotels sometimes, and that feels like cheating to me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's a bed, bed, bed. You was sometimes bed, bed. I gotta say though, campground we were in was by this creek, and I just slept like a baby, uh, except for the last night when I froze my ass off. There's nothing quite like sleeping next to running water. That is like the best white noise ever. Mm, <laughs> no doubt about it. Yes, yeah, so it, it was a pretty fun trip. I, uh, I wore the Falstaff jacket the whole time and was just continually impressed at how great it was. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was blazing hot and I open up all the vents and I'm in my own little sauna inside it and things are okay. Um, got cold and everybody else is frantically whipping on layers and I'm just like, zip. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I really, I'm, I'm... It's interesting you bring up the Falstaff. Really? I don't know why. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Certainly not some sort of foreshadow. What else happened in Durango? Oh, let's see. Um, I, I was going to go, mm-hmm. except you know, Mary-Kate sure. ended up yeah. having the same time. You, you may have gotten the better end of the deal. It was great seeing and riding with a bunch of friends, but something, we had a little a little dust-up where feelings were hurt and so forth. Uh-huh. So here's kind of the situation that happened. I'm interested to hear if listeners have similar experiences in the past. We had somebody come in from way far away who had some pretty clear expectations of what she was expecting out of the ride. Never been on the direct... No, she's never been to... The, never been, no. Okay. Um, what were her expectations? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but I know they weren't met. Um, <laughs> so we had... There was a little cock-up, and we got separated at a gas station. Okay. Um, you know, and so the, everybody's at a restaurant except for her, and... She comes out, and we're not there, and we're just at this moment arriving at the restaurant going, oh, shit, wait, one, two, three, uh-oh. Where her immediate she? assumption, she's, you know, 300 feet down the road and slightly around a corner at the gas station. Her immediate assumption is, we've left her behind. And we, <laughs> yeah, so she takes off, and she gets really mad at us. But her her expectation for it is, you know, well, you're supposed to ne- not ever leave somebody behind. You're supposed to have people assigned to do this kind of thing. And I guess but, the... There's only like six of you. I know. That then, and that was exactly my reaction and everybody else's reaction. The interesting thing that I learned from that, though, is is you people have weird expectations sometimes for group rides. Yeah. You know, I, I it sounded from the way she was talking like she was expecting we were going to have a really organized rally with you know here is the map and here's what we're doing and so and so is lead and so and so is sweep and all this kind of shit. And yeah, and you're giving me a funny look now because when have we ever run that? The closest, the closest to that was maybe last year. Yeah, the big year but when there it was, was like a lot of people. Yeah, hmm. and and even then it was like, here's where we're going on the map. Any questions? We usually eat about here. Here's our loose groups. Yeah, you know, try to keep. Here's some buddy. faster people, some slower people. Here's your buddy. Yeah. <laughs> try not to lose your buddy. Yeah, but uh, you know, and be so, an adult. <laughs> You're a grown up. 
and honestly, that's it right there. And 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 oh, how much did you pay for this rally, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it was very weird. Um, that is very, that is odd. I mean, it sounds like she goes to other rallies. Uh, yeah, and it sounds like the the. I guess well, the the moral of the story is I can see somebody having the same thing in Americade. You go into Americade with the expectation of. Oh, this is going to be, you know, I'll walk around and I'll see a couple of things and a couple of vendors and yada, 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 yada. Holy and you get shit, there and no. it's just an absolute junk show getting around. Oh, my God. Assholes and elbows the whole time. It and, is. You know, and if that's what you came not wanting and it doesn't meet your expectations, then you're going to be disappointed. On the flip side, if you go in with an open mind, if I don't really 100% know what this is going to be. I, I This might show just how much of a, a dumbass I am, but I spent a good hour walking around before I found the actual Americade park. Wow. <laughs> I was walking around Canada Street, Lake George, because everywhere you go, there's bikes. assholes and bikes. Mm-hmm. You get down to the dealer, the manufacturer demo area is, is, is a different area. There's the whole Lakeshore area. Just, you, you're walking everywhere. And, and like an after an hour, I found like this park that was like, here, Americade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But did you yell at anybody because that wasn't what you wanted when you showed up? Uh, I did yell at one girl to show me her boobs. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think that counts. No, no. It was still pretty friendly. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the... It's, it's an oh, odd thing. what is it? Have you noticed this? I, what is it with older Harley women? Mm-hmm. They're hot. Yeah. We live in the age of plastic surgery. I, it, and cougars. They, they were, yeah, they were, they were very tan, very fit, very attractive, very handsome women. Mm-hmm. I was, am I just old? Could be. Is that what happens? Could be. And they're just attractive older women. Christ! Okay, go on. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what I'm trying to get around to with this, but I think the big thing is, like, if you show up somewhere and you expect something, and you're not going to be happy if you don't get something, and that's just kind of not the way it works. I guess don't assume that's what everybody else wants. Now, I can see a lot of people, like, hating various rallies and things they go to because of that. Now... Was was there a sense like a miscommunication up front, or did did she not really talk about what she was expecting? Not a word. Just when it, when things went wrong. Well, things... up until that point, you know, he'd been cruising along. You know, at one point, I was out front by substantial margin. What, what style of bike was she riding? She's on a versus. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to apologize. <laughs> We're not on, like a on behalf of all versus. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I mean, there, there was nothing to suggest that we weren't meeting some expectation uh-huh. until, you know, we had one clusterfuck, at which point, you know, any of us would have, di- okay, let's put you in the situation. There's been a clusterfuck. Yep. You're at the gas station. You know, you walk out with a candy bar in your hand. You have no fucking idea where your friends are. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I finish my candy bar. Mm-hmm. And then I put on my helmet mm-hmm. and I use the phone. <laughs> oh yeah, that would that would have worked. At which point she would have seen the messages that were, you know, three hundred feet down the road running. <laughs> hey, we're at the Mexican place. Because I've I've got the Cena, so you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I would have used I would have gone to my phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or let's say you did take off down the road. So you went off half cocked and chased down the road, thinking he left you behind. I'm on a cool ride. Yeah, I'll just keep going. It's not like they're going to get lost. <laughs> exactly, and you know the whole the whole thing. Was... And that happened the last time I went. I, I, oh yeah, the group just dissolved. Half went this way, half went the mm-hmm. other way, and everyone was happy. Yeah, fuck. 
Yeah, so it was it was very strange, and it was clear that you know there was some assumption or expectation that we weren't just we just weren't meeting. Mm-hmm. But I'm goddamn if I knew what it was. Huh? Yeah, it's very weird. So did that kind of like ruin the whole rally for him? Uh, it soured it, it, soured, it, it soured the milk a little bit, I okay. would say. And I think there's a lot, you know. And I just think of that now, and I'm thinking next time I go on a ride somewhere, if I show up to something I don't know much about. I need to go in with a little bit of an open mind because this is my this is gonna be different from what I expect. An open mind and an open mouth. See <laughs> what you. That's want. good too. I, I I would like it if this. Okay. Yeah. Then, then then at least you know if like yeah that's what we're up to or no no that's we don't really roll that way. Go jump off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> go do your own thing. Yeah. yeah. See you see you at dinner. Yeah. So that was weird. So, so what was Saturday night dinner like? I mean, because traditionally it's been this giant. Barbecue sort of deal. <laughs> Saturday night dinner was had at a restaurant in Pagosa with uh, awkward uh, public going bullshit. Oh, on the part oh. of our problem child. No shit. No shit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, if if the whole was thing she, is gone, all was wrong, she scared? Is that? What, I mean, was there? That's my sense. You know, quite honestly, the behavior is she was in an uncomfortable situation somewhere she didn't know. I'm scared. Keep in mind, this is someone who rode across the entire fucking country to get there. <laughs> So you know, I, I I can see reacting. Which is in Colorado. When you get your pot, pot is legal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I get the I get the anxiety thing. So if yeah. you hit your trigger, it's hard to react sensibly to yeah. it. Uh-huh. But you know, I mean, once it's over, then you go, okay, you know what? You guys are jackasses. Whatever. Let's eat. There wasn't a, an over. No, there was no over. Okay. So there you go. Awkward. Mm, awkward. The red side, I was comfortable the whole time. Love the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you bring up the jacket again. Yeah, I like the jacket. Yeah. Who makes that jacket? Uh, let me think. All right, we're on with Andy Goldfine, founder of a little boutique shop you may have heard of once or twice called uh, Aerostitch. Doesn't ring any bells. Oh, they're the maker of the uh, the Roadcrafter uh, suit, uh, Darian jacket. No, uh, never seen these? No. No. Pioneers in the world of high-vis. Oh, so like Claire. <laughs> no, not like Claire. Andy, how's it going? Great. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be with you guys tonight. Oh, the pleasure's all ours. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I was I was just finishing up teaching a class a couple weekends ago, and the, my other instructor and I were looking at each other, and I'm like, man, we look like an arrow-stitch like, marketing brochure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got the fall staff, right? I'm rocking the fall staff and the gloves, and he's rocking a road crafter and the gloves and the boots and the whole nine yards. So, while you're teaching, not while we're teaching. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to thank you guys for your business with us and for your orders, and let your audience know that there was no sponsorship involved. You paid your hard-earned money for them. Yeah, so, <laughs> we, we sure did. Thank you very much. Right, well, thanks for the great products, and they they make a. A real impact in people's lives. Yeah. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> or the impact on the city. So, okay, just to start things out, I got, what, what got you down this path of making the first Aerostitch suit? Cause I'm totally picturing you like riding around Duluth in this really like dorky looking prototype suit with the duct tape and things on it. The intersection or confluence of several different things at the same time in my life led to the founding of Aerostitch. And one area of my life wasn't going very well, and that was my uh, employment with uh, outside of before Aerostitch. I mm-hmm. wasn't very happy what, with what I was doing. Another area was the uh, 
availability of sewing, industrial sewing equipment, very inexpensive. Uh, at the time, 30 years ago, was just when, when the sewing industry was leaving America for Asia. Mm-hmm. And factories were closing over a million garment workers have lost their jobs in the last 30 years. In America, this industry is gone almost. But the equipment that they worked on that wasn't auctioned and sent to Asia um, ended up in, with guys like me. And I ended up with uh, 16 sewing machines that had formerly been used to build winter coats and snowmobile suits. Mm. Uh, Ooh, and, a, and Right. And a little, bit of a, a little bit of money that I had saved from working and a little bit of money that I had been gifted as a child from grandparents and things like that. And uh, an unhappiness with my existing employment situation and not knowing what to do with myself. My college degree is philosophy with a minor in English, and that's not a very employable... Well, didn't they open that big philosophy plant in Duluth recently? Yeah, that, it, 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 Chapter 9 bankruptcy, three months later, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but I bet they thought a lot about it. They did. <laughs> so that's how I ended up doing Aristich. The sewing equipment was... Uh, not good for making uh, T-shirts or or or, or uh, lightweight clothing. Industrial sewing equipment is very specialized for what type of clothes are being made. So if you're making blue jeans, you have special machines for that. If you're making uh, pajamas, you have special machines for that. If you're making winter coats, you have special for that. And I had equipment that could have made winter coats and snowmobile suits and life jackets and things like that. Uh and I looked at the – it took about two years to figure out what to make. Um, in my personal life, I was a motorcyclist, but a pretty casual one. I would go trail riding. On weekends, I had done some AMA Enduros for a couple of years and uh, enjoyed playing around with dirt bikes. Um, I also was getting to an age when it was – in the some of the circles of people that I was associating with, found it hard to believe that I hadn't grown up and started playing golf or tennis or some normal activity. <laughs> and uh, so I I would run into ten years after high school. I was running. It's a small town. I'd run into somebody I'd been to high school with, and they'd say, "Well, gee, great to see you again. Are you still riding those motorcycles?" And I'd go, "Yeah." They're death machines. Motorcycles. (laughs) Exactly. And I was, you know, I didn't quite know how to answer that question because in my generation, I think that some of the people that knew me thought that was something you grew out of. And Mm. about the same time I got the sewing machines, um, I realized that I wasn't going to grow out of motorcycle riding ever. And that as long as I had the ability to ride, I would want to do that instead of drive around in a car. And, uh, so, I couldn't figure out how to make a better ski jacket or a better life jacket or better sailing fall weather gear or better anything that was already on the marketplace. And I would, I decided when I got the machines, I decided I would change my job. I took a three to 11 shift work job at a motel as a desk clerk. Um, so that I had my days free to try and figure out a business plan. And your evening's free to sit at a desk and be bored and figure out a business plan. (laughs) After the check-in rush, which was about 3 to 7 or 8, then from the 7 or 8 p.m. to 11 when when I got off, there was plenty of spare time at this. This motel had 96 units. It wasn't a very big place. Um, And uh, 
So there was a lot of time with that job to play with the business plans. And I, st- I started wanting to ride to work, which was at that time, it was about a six mile commute. And I was wearing a uniform for that desk clerk job, a, a vest and a tie and a polyester suit coat. And, um, I thought it would be very nice to have a coverall like a snowmobile suit or like a rain suit, but I wanted crash protective armor, and vents and reflective and all that stuff. And there wasn't anything like that on the market for motorcyclists. I had, as a kid, when, when I was young, starting riding, the motorcycle stores, shops were not like they are today in that they didn't have clothing, none of them. It was, it was, it was, um, you'd go into a motorcycle dealer. And they had exhaust pipes and handlebars and saddlebags and oil and all kinds of stuff in there, but no clothing. So when I was starting riding as a 16-year-old, I mail-ordered for my first jacket, which was a wax cotton Bellstaff jacket. Uh, and I wore that like crazy until my mother wouldn't let me keep it in the house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Tug. No, yeah. no, my wife's helping. I can't keep mine in the house. So, so... uh I, I was with, I was wanting to commute, and, and I didn't like use. I, I had a car or access to a car, and I I really did not like that. I liked riding so much that 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 I wanted to have a coverall that I could put on over this desk clerk uniform, that, and ride and then get out of the thing once I got there, not have to change into leathers or 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 be stuck with unprotective jeans. And I was always. As an off-road enduro rider, I was wearing all kinds of armor to bash through the woods for a couple of years, and so I really didn't want to ride around on the street in just jeans and a sweatshirt, um, as stylish as that was at the time. And that, that is what guys like Steve McQueen wore, mm-hmm. uh, jeans and a sweatshirt. Uh, but I wanted something armored and that could get in and out of quick, and that's where, where the aerostitch suit came from, all the intersection of all those ideas. So back up a second. You just – sort of took a leap of faith and bought all this sewing equipment without really a, a, a clear germ of an idea of what to do with it? That's correct. But the sewing equipment, what it was the excuse was that the sewing equipment was almost free. It was, mm-hmm. it was uh, the sewing machine, industrial sewing machines today, like the kind we use, are four, five, six thousand $6,000. And at the time, you could buy them for $50. Okay. So, wow. Similar ones of that, of that era that, that were used ones, $50 and $100. They were nothing. So was um, Duluth, right? Duluth, yeah. Was Duluth a large textile place, a t- a textile center before that time? or um, Not particularly. The The place that I got the 16 sewing machines from had about 100 sewing stations or workstations. Uh, there was a place when I was growing up here with about 1,000 garment workers. There was another one when I was a child here with about 300 garment workers. Um, the major, the majority, as I understand it, of the sewing industry was in the southeast part of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, North Carolina and Tennessee and South Carolina. That's what, where the, the big factories were. What were you riding around on as for your, your work commute? Um, well, for a while I was riding my enduro bike, which in those days, uh, had a, only a lighting coil, no brake light, no mirror. It sounded almost like it had an expansion chamber the way I had it set up. It wasn't quite that loud, but pretty close. <laughs> and uh, I, I was worried about getting a ticket. A friend of mine had Airhead BMW, a thousand cc BMW, that he was making payments on, and he wanted to get out from under the payments. 
and he made me a good deal on the Airhead BMW. Um, and so I, so that was the turning point for me is when I switched from owning only one motorcycle to owning two. And then I knew I was going to be in it for the rest of my life. So I was commuting on an Airhead BMW. And I liked the BMW. I sort of bought it blind. The last sort of really street legal bike I'd had was 15 years earlier, 10 years earlier, I had a series of little Hondas when I was 16, 17, 18 years old that were genuinely street legal. So then I, then there was a long period when I had more not more quasi-street legal dirt bike. And then, uh, and I would run around and try to hide from the police, sort of, and in a high vis suit. <laughs> you know, that was before Aerosmith. And and then I got this BMW, and I was, suddenly I was legit. I had a real license plate, a real horn, real brake <laughs> real turn signals. Ooh, well, boy, I liked spoiled. the BMW because at the time the Japanese full size bikes didn't have street bikes, did not have very long travel suspension. The BMW. Uh, of the seventies, this was a 1978 model had almost dirt bike like suspension. It had pretty long travel and the, and the Japanese bikes of that era had were much less capable on gravel roads, believe it or not, the street bikes. This was a pretty good bike on a gravel road. I, I was riding with, um, what to, what you'd call trials tires on this street bike. So I could handle gravel around here. Around Duluth in northern Wisconsin, northern Michigan, northern Minnesota, there's not a lot of viable agriculture, so you don't have a lot of farm roads. And but there is forestry roads and logging roads, and there's lots of gravel roads. So so if you want a street bike that can go anywhere, you need to be able to ride on a gravel road. And the BMW was pretty good at that with the right tires, even though it was a street bike. Who got the second suit? Ah, uh, that's a great question. I don't know who got the second suit. I got, I know who got the first one, but not the second one. It wasn't you. Got the first one? <laughs> yeah, I, I, my assumption was you. You're like, here, try this one. on and tell me if you die. <laughs> the, the, I, I was, I'm saying who paid for? Who was the first paying customer? I don't know the second paying customer. I know the first one. Well, I'm, who was there a second guinea pig? Well, I was the guinea pig for all this stuff. The presumption from the beginning was. Not so much that I was going to make a million dollars, but that if I liked whatever I made, I should make it for myself. And with good luck, other people might like it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that there might be people who wanted to commute like me uh, and wanted this coverall. And I, I sort of had two scenarios or fantasies. One was that there would be just enough people who wanted something like this for their commuting so that. I could employ one or two people to help me and I could have a little basement business with my sewing machines making one or two of these a week. And at the other extreme was the sort of Willy Wonka fantasy where people would look at the Ford car in their garage. Then they'd look at the riding suit and they'd go, why am I driving this car? I have a riding suit now. I don't need to drive anymore ever. I've got this armored riding suit I can use instead. I can ride. And then I would be the next Henry Ford. And millions of people would jump out of their cars and buy motorcycles. That didn't happen, but what actually happened? What, what was the the initial kind of response to the suit and to the company? Well, <laughs> the, the, there were a few people who got it. I mean, who just drilled it, and and they were very loyal and enthusiastic and encouraging. Uh, the people who wanted to commute got it. The cycle magazine editors were 
as a group, a few of them got it, but many, many of them did not understand what the suit was for till they had tried it. There was a very common experience early in the development of this that, that I would, I grew up in the junior high school and, and high school reading motorcycle magazines in study hall and uh, was very interested in all aspects of motorcycling. And I, when I got the thing ready to be produced, I put, a suit in a box with a cover letter and to my favorite magazine editors. And I wrote them and said, dear so-and-so encloses a new kind of writer's clothing. It's for this. This is how you, this is what the intent is. I hope you'll give it a try. If it's the wrong size, I'll call you in a couple weeks and we can, I can send you another size or we can figure it out. And I knew that if I was too, if I pestered them, they would just, not be interested. So I had to, I, I felt I had to let them discover the suit themselves. And several of the sort of bigger at the time or more well known magazine editors did sort of a W.C. Fields go away from me, kid, you bother me kind of a thing at the back in that day. They, I, I, I remember sit, calling one of them a couple weeks after I'd sent it. And the guy said, and I didn't know any of these people, and they have since become friends with some of them. But uh, the, the guy said, on this one particular case, he said, no, no, it's underneath the coat rack. It's still in its box. We don't have time to play with it or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, Could you send it back? I got a lot of material in that. <laughs> but some of them did get it and wrote very, very nice, uh, nicely about it. Uh, one of the early supporters and who understood it was a guy named Stephen L. Thompson, Steve Thompson, and he's still a friend. Um and uh, the, the common experience with the writers who, including the Cycle Magazine editors, most of which at the time worked in the Los Angeles area, uh, the common experience was they would get into it and kind of size it up, move around in it a little bit, and then they'd go out in the, on their bike and they'd get a few miles and they'd find themselves sort of giggling into their helmet. It was so much more of a, of a you felt so protected and so comfortable compared a leather suit for a racer and i had leathers leather pants and a leather jacket by this time and, and you ha i used to call how they fit me and how, how you felt in them i used to call that protective feeling of being in leathers the sausage effect you felt like a frankfurter in a casing kind of <laughs> and and then the road crafters the early road crafters it was completely different feeling and you felt secure and safe and comfortable and cool and you had some control of your ventilation there was none of this frankfurter effect if anything it was a little more like um the, you know today's iron man uh experience where you put on this magic suit and you can do anything and you these guys would be going down the highway in the morning on their way to work sort of giggling in their helmets because they knew something that nobody else knew they had discovered a better way to dress for going from a to b to work. It was just a revelation to them. And that was a very, very common. I got, uh, we, at the time, the aerostage was very, very small, and I was still answering the phone, every phone call, and packing every suit, and doing all the odd jobs that take a small business to start. And, uh, I got, I got lots of compliments from guys who tried them on skeptically, got five miles, and went, holy smokes, this is really going to change my life. 
I never pretend I'm a spaceman when I'm wearing a suit. Never. Never. No, sir. No. No. So, I, actually, I, I, interesting thing about that. So, the, the roadcrafter is kind of, you know, the no bullshit, I'm really protected, I'm, I'm taking this very seriously kind of suit, which is, let's admit it, not the most fashionable, but that's because you're looking at it from the outside and it's meant to be looked at from the inside. The interesting thing I see going on is it seems like your big growth area these days isn't actually in the no bullshit suit. You're kind of... I don't know what to call it, the compromise riding gear, the, the Darien lights, the fall staffs, the, you know, giving up a little protection for a little more something else. Um, well, this year we made a lot of changes in our product line. The roadcrafter that everybody's familiar with, who knows about Aerostitch products, that, that is, uh, is technically the roadcrafter 2. We made about 50 to 100 of a slightly different looking roadcrafter right at the very beginning of the company. And then we figured out how to seal the stitched seams to help it be a little more water resistant. Mm-hmm. And so the, and we made for about 26 or seven or eight years, uh, the Roadcrafter 2. And after the first year or two, we stopped calling it the 2 and we ju- it just became the Roadcrafter. And we refined it and refined it and refined it until this past year. And many riders have, have over the year, they last somewhere between five and 15 years, depending on how much one rides. And some of our customers have are on their third or fourth one. And uh, this year, we uh, renamed the Roadcrafter, the, the Roadcrafter Classic, and we introduced an all-new suit called the R3, which stands for Roadcrafter 3. And the R3 looks the same on the outside as the Roadcrafter people are familiar with. But on the inside, it's made more like a Darien. That is to say, there's no hung lining. When you buy a winter coat or a, a men's uh, blazer or sport coat, you have a, a separate lining that hangs on the inside. But in our Darien garments, the armor is just adhered to the backside of the single layer of fabric in individual bags with hook and loop. And it makes a structurally lighter garment and one that dries more quickly and one that ventilates better and uh, one that has no hidden anything between the inner and outer lining. Uh, it's a really honest garment, the Darians. And because of how they're constructed, they, they're a little more waterproof than the Roadcrafter. And so the R3 is something that is brand new this year. It looks like a Roadcrafter, but it's made like a Darian. And, uh, and that's still the core of our business. And what's, what you're asking about is, are there some tangents that we've gone out on to expand our range and our market? The answer is yes. The first one about, I would say, five or six years after the Roadcrafter, people were buying the Roadcrafters and they weren't using them the way I expected them to use them to ride to work. They were using them for touring and traveling and recreational riding, mm-hmm. sport riding. And uh, because they were better than leather clothing in a lot of ways. We were dumb in some ways. The type of armor we used, which is we call TF2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 now, um, had a way of stiffening. It was a radical new material at the time. And we had no idea that it was actually a better energy-absorbing, impact-absorbing material than what guys like Kenny Roberts and Freddie Spencer were wearing the pro riders. We had a more protective impact pad than the pro riders were wearing at the time, and we had no idea. Um, 
but so re- recreational riders were, which is 99% of riders in America, were buying the suits for recreational riding of one description or one sort or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, the roadcrafter was intended for commuting in my mind. And uh, so about five years later, uh, we developed an, a new jacket called the Darien jacket, which had no separate hung lining, and which, which was my idea of what today would be called an adventure riding jacket. It had armor, it had vents, it was very much more waterproof by design than the Roadcrafter. It wasn't intended just to get somebody from A to B across a 10-minute commute or a 20-minute commute. It was intended to be a modern, updated version of a barber or bellstaff jacket. Um, and that was for traveling and touring and all-day riding in my mind, adventure riding also, and even some enduro and off-road riding. Uh, and uh, I was going to take it out to show the Cycle Magazine editors it, this this suit, this jacket. Uh, this is a, one of my favorite stories. I haven't told this in a long time. We, we had the Darien jacket all worked out as a sort of a touring, traveling, armored, vented, wonderful jacket. And the plan was for me to ride out to California and – I'd been there a couple of times previously to meet some of the Cycle Magazine editors and tell them about the Roadcrafter. So I was going to go out there and do that with the Darien. And uh, I thought I was, in my mind, was going to use the pants from a Roadcrafter as my riding pants. And I put the two on, the Darien jacket and the Roadcrafter pants, and I, I realized that they really didn't go together very well. The Roadcrafter pants have a full lining. They have a ballistics area on the knee. They just are completely different. So at the very last minute, like five days before I was scheduled to leave on this ride to California, I worked with uh, our pattern maker and we essentially we copied a pair of Levi's jeans and put side zippers on and made this, threw together these Darien pants so that I could stop <laughs> to wear underneath this new jacket that we'd worked for a year on. <laughs> I got out to California and I showed the jacket and everything was good and on the way back, there was a motor, a BMW motorcycle rally, I think by the San Diego BMW Club on the road that goes up to Mount Palomar. Okay. And I can't remember. Maybe it was called the Oktoberfest or something like that. And I, and I, I remember thinking I'll go there and I'll stop and I'll camp for a night on my way home as long as I'm in California, get a rally pin. And at, if you've ever been to a, a, a BMW or many of the destination brand marquee rallies, what they're sort of like railbirds. The, the other people who are attending the rallies often sort of hang out at the registration area to watch the parade of people coming and <laughs> registering at the rallies. Like they're they're like railbirds, mm-hmm. like at a racetrack, a horse racing track, and they're sort of watching the bikes come and go. And so I pull into the rally registration area for the Oktoberfest at the San Diego club, wearing this brand new Darien's jacket. That's just been the result of all this work that I just shown the cycle magazine editors. And I put the bike on the stand and lay the jacket over the saddle. Like 30 people are sort of hanging out, standing around watching me and the others who are coming and going. And I walk over to the card table in the little tent to pay my money and, get a place to camp and about three in the space of the 10 feet or 20 feet walk, three people came up to me and said, where'd you get those pants? (laughs) (laughs) 
so when I got back to Minnesota, I realized we had to make the pants too. Could have been worse. They could have been like, "How far do you think you're going to get in those pants?" <laughs> nobody, nobody asked about the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe, uh, yeah. um, I so like the Darian outfit. It's it's the Darian outfit is our attempt at building a modern travelers or enduro or off road or adventure or touring suit. When 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 you're riding intra-city, short hop rides, riding to work, riding for errands, whatever. The cool thing about a one-piece coverall and about the Aerostitch one-piece coverall is it's sort of an all-in-one protection system. Hangs on a nail in your garage or wherever. You jump into it, and if you're wearing ankle-high boots and you've got a pair of gloves and a helmet, you're done. Mm. You can go, ride 10 minutes, get to work, ride 20 minutes to the grocery store, wherever you go. If you don't mind looking like a Power Ranger, it's the simplest, fastest, easiest way to incorporate it riding into your everyday routines. But when you're traveling, it's a, it's a great all-in-one system. But when you're traveling, it's really nice to have a two-piece outfit because you're stopping for lunch. You want to take off your jacket or you're, you're, you know, you're sort of hanging out your pattern. If you're riding for two hours or three hours on a Saturday, it's nice to have a two-piece suit because you can take the jacket off when you stop. And you're still in pants. You're not sort of stuck in the suit all day. Having said that, I must add one more little thing, which is I've ridden all over the country in a one-piece road crafter, and it works just fine. Lots and lots of people do that. Uh, but it's very, very nice to have a two-piece Darien or Falstaff outfit when you're on the bike for more than 15 or 20 minutes at a time. The, the one-piece is, in my opinion, a great all-in-one system for short hop everyday riding. And the two-piece is what I choose when I'm going for a half a day or longer on the bike. That is really interesting you say that because for the longest time I think in in the the internet internet web mind the road crafter is sort of like the gold standard for for touring. Yeah, but I, I it's like he said. I mean, look at me now. I, I specifically went to great lengths to be able to wear my cuz after a year and a half in the fall stuff I'm like I will not let go of this jacket. Yeah. I do cold dead hands. Yeah. I went to great lengths to make sure I had some pants I could wear with it for the trip right, I just right. took. Because yeah. it really is, like he says, nice. You drop the coat mm-hmm. and go do your thing. Yeah, you, you buy gas or you sit down and have a meal or whatever. Set up your tent site, mm-hmm. campsite or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, am I, cor- am I correct in thinking that you actually handmade the early suits? You are not correct. Okay, okay. The I was very fortunate to be able to find some of the garment workers mm. from these closed factories and who shake had, them down. <laughs> they had, some of these people had years and years. They had careers that was really kind of sad. There was, uh, I had probably by the, I don't remember the exact numbers, but probably peaked at maybe 10 or 15 people who were in their forties and fifties who had put in 10, 15, 20 years working in the garment business, sewing clothes, making stuff who suddenly didn't have an industry to go to. And so there was, I would run a help wanted ad for sewers or for pattern making or whatever. And I would get plenty of applicants for the first 10 years of Aristich or 15 years of Aristich. These people lost their occupation as it went to Asia. They were good people. That's wow. Okay. So how many people does Aristich employ today? <sighs> it varies, uh, seasonally, but, um, I think right or 
Well, I don't even know anymore. Uh, <laughs> he has people for that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> he sees the Oompa Loompas dancing around. Yeah, whatever. We're, we're really a small company. It's, it's, we're in the same building where we started. I have to say I was a little disappointed by the building because I went there and I made my wife stop in Duluth on a trip. And she was like, oh, God. And I was totally imagining I would go inside and it would be like Willy Wonka. <laughs> it turns out that they're just making suits. <laughs> Although the little the little bike on the playground bouncy spring was pretty cool. <laughs> we we had a, a very fun email. Almost the same. Some guy with the, I think one of the BMW sub chapter clubs, for one of their most luxurious touring bikes. And I don't know the nomenclature, but it you know like the sub chapter for the six cylinder RT touring bike or whatever was we're pretty well-to-do, sophisticated people. And the guy wrote, posted to his online forum. He said, yeah, I went to Duluth. I'm paraphrasing, not quoting here. He says, yeah, I went to Duluth. And I looked all over and I drove back and forth three times. And that couldn't, and, I, and said to myself, mm-hmm. that this guy's writing this out to his forum. He says, I said, to, I rode back and forth in front of the place three or four times and said, that couldn't be Aristich. That looks like crap. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's this little brick building with a sign the size of like a, like a license plate, <laughs> and a door with no window. And just it, it was very gratifying. He continued that to his forum post. He said, "But I went inside, and they had what I wanted, and they had good customer service, and it was all good." But we got a kick out of that. So now I, I the one last question about the company. Now, your competition has kind of stepped up their game lately. I mean, first, you know, you were making the suits and nobody else really had the onesies. Now the onesies are, you know, everybody's got one that they're throwing around. You know, they have a guy making adventure face in it. Yeah, and there's the twosies too. I mean, Tourtex mm-hmm. coming out, Ruka's, you know, Taze. I mean, there's there's a lot of names in this field now. So what are, what are you guys doing to kind of set yourselves apart from them? Or do you, do you feel like you need to? Or why stitch, Andy? Why well, stitch? The the first and reason is is that we think we I still think it's a better product at the end of the day uh, and I, I I have I can ground that on several uh, very very subjective levels the first level is that most of the other kinds of similar gear which is and there's lots and lots of good gear out there besides Aristich now when you walk into a cycle shop today it looks like a clothing store. Uh, it doesn't look like the cycle Especially shop. if you walk into a Harley Davidson. <laughs> they, they, they all look like clothing stores. And the reason, if you walk into any sporting goods store, like a ski shop or a running store or a motorcycle store, all these places that cater to the specialized sports uh, look like clothing stores. And the reason they all do is because that's where the money is made. The, the running s- s- store makes all their money on clothing. The ski shop doesn't make money on ski boots and skis. Our they make sucks. money that, right, hard goods suck, and so the money is made at motorcycle shops on the clothing now, and and it's because of the wage differentials and all kinds of consequences of of global free trade, which is good for Americans in a lot of ways and good for the world in a lot of ways, but the the reason that the clothes are in all of the specialty sports stores is because they're it's very profitable. Uh, the, what they can't really do that we can do at Aerostitch is a retail motorcycle store uh, needs to show a lot of styles. So they they like to have hanging on the rack 30 styles, women's, men's, short, long, different designs and patterns. But usually there's not a lot, as much depth of fitting. In a road craft, we only make 
three, four styles, but we make like 30 sizes in every style. So if, and the jump between a small and a medium and a medium and a large, that's like three of our sizes. So if you really want a good fit, no, when, when, when people go shopping for shoes, uh, they don't buy a size medium shoe. They buy a nine and a half or a 10 or an 11 or a nine and a half D even or a C or a B. When you ask a woman what her favorite pair of shoes is, and she might have 50 pairs of shoes, she always will tell you that it's the, this or that pair that fits the best. So one of the things that we specialize in is providing a great fit. And we're very good at that. And available right now, somewhere on a rack, are the size 48 small staff pants that didn't fit me because I have stubby legs. <laughs> right. Well, for, for that, in that case, if everything else fits, we actually have alterations available and we can, we can build a pair with the, a knee, the knee bend slightly higher or the, or the hem slightly longer. We do not build fully custom garments like race leathers, but we alter these off the rack sizes and 80 or 90% of the people fit the off the rack sizes and just get a better fit than small, medium and large. That's something that differentiates us from most of the other garments are designed for a supply chain and for a method of merchandising that relies on lots of styles and not as many sizes. So that's a big differentiator. Another differentiator is we're the original on a lot of these products. And the, the original is in some ways usually, and, and I'm going to speak just in generalities here, not about Aerostitch specifically, but mm-hmm. when you look at like blue jeans, for example, the original blue jeans like Wranglers or Lees or Levi's are an ex, usually they're a great product. And the people who come later with designer jeans and with decorative stitching or whatever gimmick they have, it, they're usually not improving on the basic core Levi 501 or Wrangler or whatever. And there's some of that aspect going on in the motorcycle sportswear right now. There's an awful lot of garments that say, if this guy has five pockets on his, we'll put six on ours and it'll be better. And it usually isn't because the pockets then are too small to use or they're not in the right place or whatever. We spend a lot of time refining, designing, and figuring out our version of the Levi 501. Or the, in the, so in the case of the Darien jacket or the Darien pants or the Falstaff, or the Roadcrafter, or the R3, um, we set out to make fundamental pieces of equipment that work. And we didn't look very hard, and we still don't look very hard at what anybody else is doing. There's an awful lot of over-complicated, over-styled stuff out there that is good stuff, but it's just not the... It's just, in some ways, functionally a little not as... Good. I don't know how to say this without sounding... You can wrong. say it sucks. It's okay. It doesn't suck. It's good stuff. <laughs> sometimes basic 501 Levi's are the best jean, and you don't need a designer jeans with embroidery here and decorative sewing there and whatnot. Because sometimes, those suck. Sometimes you just need a basic pair of blue jeans or a basic pair of whatever. Yeah. A this, basic, from, this from the man who makes a jacket with so many pockets, I routinely lose crap in it. <laughs> you, you need the, you actually, I just found a new pocket yesterday. They're functional pockets, Todd. <laughs> Well, I need like a little beeper that tells me what pocket my crap is in. <laughs> oh, oh, it's in the <laughs> there it is. If you if you He's go to the Aerostitch website and you type in the word walnut in the search field, all of the pr- fake items that we've ever produced to parody real products come up on our website. And one of them is a GPS for your stuff. <laughs> 
to help you find your stuff. Uh, it's not fake anymore. You can buy that stuff for your keys. <laughs> when, when we started, uh, the basic standard jackets were like the what we would call a zipper jacket or a biker jacket with all the zippers on and a Fonzie jacket. Mm-hmm. And uh, compared to that kind of gear 30 years ago, Aerostitch suits, Roadcrafter suits were extremely complex for that era. At that time, uh, nobody had removable armor. You bought a leather jacket and the armor was sewn right in. It was a rubber pad or a felt pad. Um, and, and there was a lot of different thought put into the vents and the pockets and the zippers to try and make this a great piece of equipment, this early Roadcrafter, and the same with the Darien gear. Um, today, uh, my personal view is, is that some of the newer gear has complexity for the sake of complexity, that it isn't really better. Than, and I particularly am proud of not having linings in our R3 and in our Darien gear. I believe that the, taking the lining out and making it more like a rain suit out of a heavy fabric with, with, with armor that hook and loop attaches to the back side of it gives you something that's lighter and that flows air better, that dries more quickly if it does get wet, that's um, easier to field repair. Uh, and everybody else has these complicated liners. Some zip in, some are made of mesh, They're, but it's just more complexity. It's um, not necessarily better. I, weirdly, it makes me think of the uh, the jacket I had before the Falstaff, which looks like it, despite not being rice cotton, but has vents all over it, except the two big armpit vents and one big vent in the back of the Falstaff end up flowing better than all the neat little weird ram air shoulder and <laughs> elbow. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I, I guess to summarize, there are three things. One, uh, we have a, a lot more sizes usually than, than the similar jackets. Two, these are... F- really long-term, fundamental, refined, basic pieces of equipment. Uh, and um, three, uh, uh, which we haven't touched on, there is some product support available here that um, you, it's hard to duplicate from Asia. Frank, we have a sewing factory, so we can alter and we can fix a zipper after five years with breaks or ten years of breaks. And, and, like and you're going to make the Falstaff pants in shorts soon. We do make Falstaff pants now. Make the pants in short. In, this in, is God, Andy. Make short Falstaff short. pants for stubby guys. Do you, you hear that, Tom? I, right? I don't. I, what? Right now they're in regulars and longs, I think only. Uh, and you're right. We need to add short. those. We're, it's God is a short person, Andy. <laughs> I know. He rides a Trail 92, a yellow one. <laughs> You didn't like the one tens, I don't think. No, that was too much. He was he was like, screw that. <laughs> you know, as surprising as it might sound, Andy has another passion when it comes to motorcycling. Oh, it is not just making the motorcycle nation look like a bunch of spacemen. <laughs> well, actually, you bring it up. It it came up just in him talking about motorcycling. You're big on the motorcycle commuting thing, huh, Andy? Yes, I am. So do you, uh, how many, how many days a year can you pull off in Duluth commuting on a motorcycle? You can, it depends on how hard you want to work. Because uh, <laughs> I've, I've been to Duluth and uh, winters are long. <laughs> well, you've seen the road crafter, right? <laughs> Good point. We all know fair weather riders who consider it an accomplishment to ride into work two or three days a year. 
Mm. Yep. They're the uh, ones who park badly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And usually they ride not so well either. Mm-hmm. Yep. Story well, one of the cool things about riding is that your moves and your situational awareness and your everything becomes so much just putting on your helmet becomes easier if you do it every day. Mm-hmm. You, you just you know how to manipulate the latch or the double D rings or where to lay your gloves when you stop the bike to go put something in the mailbox. Remember uh, to put the kickstand down. And then you drop them anyway. <laughs> well, it's things become very automatic when you start riding a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get very fluid and very smooth, uh, very fluent. Um, and when you don't ride very much, everything is uh, – every, haven't you ever taken a motorcycle trip and the first day is terrible and then by the second or third day things start to fall into place and everything gets really easy and you just don't – and when you're all done with the trip, five days later, a week later, you come home and you just don't want to stop. Yeah, that's true for everyone that does not have to take a trip with me. <laughs> Chuck doesn't have that. You know that effect where your luggage suddenly gets easier to pack a few days in? Chuck, yep. for some reason, doesn't have that. My luggage grows. <laughs> and my luck grows steadily worse. Well. <laughs> but I still love it. But yeah, so, so Ride to Work Day is coming up. Yeah, so what we're trying to get around to here is Ride to Work Day. As we dance around the top. June 16th, right? Is this coming Monday? This coming Monday. I plan to ride to work that day. The third Monday of every June. It's an annual event. It is. And this is like one of your big calls to get more people to just use the bike. It's not just a toy. As a tool, not just a toy. I think the future of motorcycling in advanced and wealthy countries depends on more riders using them this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they're just toys... uh, it's pretty easy for the mainstream of society and government to marginalize them more and more. And for that Mustang guy to park in the motorcycle parking spot, that bastard. Sorry. <clears throat> Go on. <laughs> well, I, I, I believe it's a social good. I believe that uh, riding regularly helps you, helps balance you and clarifies you. It helps your thinking. It helps your physiology and your neurology and your psychology and all the ologies. It makes you a better person. And I think that leading from that directly is that if if anything that you do that makes you a better person and anything that society encourages that makes people better people helps build a better society, helps build a better civilization. Uh, and I think that uh, spending all your time commuting in cars and depending on cars uh, has sort of the opposite effect. It... it um, it's confining. It's like it being hurts. in a cage. It's... One analogy that I, I can't back this up with any evidence, but one analogy is like going everywhere in a car is like eating junk food and going everywhere on a bike that you can is like eating wholesome, healthy, organic, raw, real food. We all love um, hot dogs and ice cream and cotton candy. Uh, I love those things too. But uh, it's much better for you to eat whole grains and asparagus and carrots and all that sort of thing. And if you get those things that are really fresh, they're actually pretty sweet. And you learn from regular riding to really appreciate the sweetness of the experience of riding. And it's good for you. And I'll extend one more uh, piece. I Somehow I think that that the success that the Asian – economies and societies have had since World War II partly comes from the idea that so many of the people over there went to their 
schools and their workplaces for two or three generations on bicycles and on small motorcycles because they didn't have cars. And so when they got to their schoolhouse or when they got to their job site, they were sharp, they were clear, they were well-adjusted, and they were ready to work because that's how they got to work. And here in America, people would sit in their cars uh, listening to Rush Limbaugh or the radios of some sort, and they get to work and they get to their school and they're not as clear and they're not as sharp and they're not as ready to go. Uh, so I have... I really believe it's a social good. That's the term that I read somewhere about something, and I think it applies perfectly to riding a motorcycle. It's a social good. We built over the last 100 years all over the world in advanced and wealthy countries an infrastructure that's a sprawled out, convenient infrastructure, and many people who don't live in cities want to raise their kids so they have a nice backyard to play in and a nice suburban safe place. But if they work in a city and live and raise their families outside of the city, they can't get from A to B uh, unless they use a car or a motorcycle. And they can't use a bicycle for that. You can, inside of a city, because it's dense, get away with a bicycle for many commutes. But for many, many people, because of the way the world is built, because of the way we built our homes and our businesses and our streets and highways, we can't get from A to B on a bicycle because the distances are too far. And uh, so the natural solution to being sharp and clear and healthy in your life is when you can't use a bicycle or walk is to use a motorcycle. That ha- That's the best of both worlds. It has the range and speed of a car with the clarifying and healthifying uh, effect of a bicycle. Everything except the aerobic piece that a bicycle gives you. And depending on how bad your ergos are, it could be a little aerobic. <laughs> <laughs> Or how far you have to push your Buell, right, Chuck? Shut up. <laughs> My brother-in-law has a Buell. <laughs> I'm sorry. Great. <laughs> They're great. They're great. They're great, Doug. Does yours have a, a, a fuel tank frame or a tubular frame? It's a fuel tank frame. Fuel tank frame? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a 2008 uh, Ulysses. That's what my brother-in-law has. Exactly the same bike. Does he like it? He does. He's been all over the country. I think he must have maybe 40,000 miles on his now. See? They run. They're mm-hmm. fine. People like them. All right. All right. All right. I'll kill you. But do you take the Buell to work? I do. Actually, it's, it's easier for me to take the Buell to work than it is to take the Euro. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have a Buell question for because I've ridden his Buell a few, a few times and, and been around it. My question with the fuel tank frame Buells, I don't understand <laughs> – it, the piece that bothers me isn't really how they ride or how durable or any of that stuff. The piece that bothers me is when I stop the bike. Oh, the air conditioner. The fan comes on every time. <laughs> That's the air conditioner. Right. And I hate that. When I stop the bike, I want to just have it be quiet. Uh, well, it, it is a Harley motor. It's an air-cooled Harley motor. And the, advi- the advice I've got is it happens so often you, you won't even notice after a while. It gets to be a, a joke with the Buell riders. And when you, you go walking away, someone will stop you and be like, hey, your bike's on. No, no, that's the air conditioner. It's fine. Leave it alone. <laughs> it's, it's, it was quite disconcerting the first few times I was around. <laughs> You're like searching the bike. Stop, what? I want to turn off. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just sort of how the motor goes with that bike. So do you ride to work every day you possibly can? No, I don't. Uh, I, my commute is three miles here, and I uh, I try to, in the wintertime, I like to walk it. It takes an hour mm-hmm. uh, when it's really cold and when it's really snowy. 
it's a nice walk and everybody else is indoors. So you own the walk that you're all alone once it's really cold, once it's 10 degrees or something like that. It's a nice walk. And, um, in the summer, I either will rollerblade or, or bicycle, uh, to work Which when it's nice. Riding. It, it's very nice. I, and, and then I will motorcycle on the days that I either, they're one of two things. Either I have a, a, a range of errands beyond what I want to do on the bicycle. Like, so if I, on a day that I know that I have to go to the pet store and get dog food or something, uh, I'll take the motorcycle to work because I know that I have that errand and I can accomplish it with the bicycle, with the motorcycle. And I can't easily with the bicycle. Or on um, this is to me, there's an irony in what I'm about to tell you. One of my favorite times to use the motorcycle is when when the weather's bad, when it's really windy and I don't want to push the bicycle through the wind, mm-hmm. or when it's raining and cold and crappy in the summer. I love taking the motorcycle because being on a bicycle in those conditions is even less fun than it is on a motorcycle. And I don't have an aerostitch suit that works on a bicycle. I do for the motorcycle. So I jump into the aerostitch suit when it's raining out and ride to – instead of most riders, when the rain comes, put their bike away. For me – the riding the motorcycle is the rain cho- rain day choice that I don't bicycle. The motorcycle is your car. Yes, <laughs> unless I have something really too large to haul in it, or I have to if I have to go pick somebody up at the airport, I take a car, stuff like that. So, are you going to be riding the motorcycle Monday? Yes, I will. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm guessing I probably ride the bicycle about 100 days a year, and the motorcycle about 100. What is the motorcycle? What What's the motorcycle now? Right now, it's a DRZ 400. Ooh, it's a Suzuki dual sport on off-road bike. That is fun. Mm-hmm. It's an older one. It's a 10-year-old one. It's pretty stock, but it works good. It's an easy bike to deal with in the city. I park next to one of those at work. I look like a mama duck next to it. Well, yeah, with the Strom, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> it's important, I think, for riders to try and fit the bike to their application. In a town like Duluth, where it's only 85,000 people, uh, you know, riding a Goldwing would make to commute three miles on a Goldwing would make no sense. But uh, a, a, a 225 dual sport bike or the DRZ 400 or a XR 650L or something or KLR, those work great in this city, in this environment, in this situation. Uh, on the other hand, if you're in uh, Chicago and you're riding 40 miles every day, you might as well have a Goldwing or something like that for that kind of a commute. Uh, so it's, it's, that we're very lucky as riders that we have there's more variety amongst motorcycles in weight and performance capabilities than there is among you look at the smallest car like a fiat and the biggest suv like a escalade or something like that they're still more alike than the range of little motorcycles to big i think there's much more variety and diversity in motorcycles those cars are soul killing yes when it's really cold and you got to go long distance they're great <laughs> I call those the drop me off at work honey uh-huh. days <laughs> it's a name I've come up with <laughs> used to be you could just ride the Ural yeah, there's, there's, there's people in Minnesota I know one that has, uses a Ural all year round in the winter and for whatever reason those Russian motorcycles seem to like to start in really cold weather Oh, they love yeah. the cold. Oh, they love it. Mine love I, that. I can't believe that they start, but this guy starts his at 10 degrees below zero outdoors. Oh, much better than when it's hot. But it, that's where they're from. So now getting getting the ride to work day thing going, it, you're, I assume people need to 
be hollering at people in their own office to be riding to work about this, huh? Do you have materials or posters they can stick up or... There is. If they go to the Ride to Work website, there's all kinds of free, downloadable, print-outable stuff. There's also a merchandise section. It's a little late to buy and order some stickers or anything, but you can print out fax, facsimiles. Uh, and yeah, it's it, some companies that have really large pools of employees. You know, where if you work at a place where there's 1,500 or 2,500 people at the same job building. Often in those kinds of places, even in places with 200 employees, if there's 10 people riding, they'll get together and they'll do a lunch or a breakfast or something um, and, and to recognize it. And that you can um, download little stickers that are Avery labels that go on that you can stick on your shirt, that like those I voted stickers from you – know, you can stick it on your shirt and it says, I rode today, ask me why, or ask me about it. You know what really else works for, for getting that kind of visibility at work? Mm-hmm. Burnouts in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. Yeah. And we broke it. He's like, is he serious? Does he work at a prison? That's why. Well. <laughs> or that, or he's like, yeah, that, I do that. We're, we're still cleaning the floor from last year at Aristotle. I think there's some pretty fun online viral vid- videos of guys who are doing like indoor burnouts. You can, <laughs> I think you can Google that and, and, and some YouTube videos will come He's up. Heard that. He's I think heard. the picture of my strong parked in my cube pops up every once in a while. <laughs> it was snowy outside. I need a place to put it. I wonder if I can get the Buell into my cube. <laughs> All right. So make sure you check out, uh, Ride to Work. Uh, what's the website? We'll have the uh, Ride to Work dot org. We'll have the links on in our show notes. Uh, we'll have the links, of course, to Arrow Stitch because people have never heard of it. I'm sure. No, 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 no. Certainly not from us. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you ride or for or what your commute or what even on Ride to Work Day, uh, if you're if you work out of your house or if you're unemployed or whatever, it's very important to go for a ride and get as many motorcycles out on that day as possible it's really designed as a, as a media event if you if you want to organize two or three people you call your local radio station or your local news station motorcycling is sort of a colorful high profile activity and this is an opportunity to tell a story about motorcycling that's very positive to the local reporter who's doing the am drive time show on a on a on a radio or television station. It, it did strike me as being sort of activism when I was just reading the descriptions and, and the, in the background on the, uh, the, the ride to work day webpage. It, it felt very much like sort of an activist. It's, there's no membership. There's no dues. There's the idea is just to get out there and do it and be visible. If you really want to do something nice, you call local media and tell them, have you heard of ride to work day? And, and then, and you can go to the website and, quote some of the reasons why motorcycles are a social good and and the, uh, oftentimes the local tv station will send a reporter with a camera to to interview you and you can tell a good story about motorcycling actually i had a question about that i was reading through the, the social good stuff and one of the things that occurred to me because you were talking about gas usage and traffic density but on the other side of that coin it's coming clear more and more that, that motorcycles tend to be grosser polluters than cars pound for pound yeah. We have outsourced the regulation of emissions for vehicles to our, our government. 
and we have told them to take care of us. And they are they set the standards for the different kinds of vehicles in our best interest. And the automakers and the motorcycle makers comply if they want to sell their mm-hmm. vehicles to us. And if we want stiffer emissions regulations for bikes, all we have to do is tell our legislators that that's what we want. But it's it's our responsibility ends at voting on that issue, voting that issue, and and uh, and riding what we have. Now the the modern motorcycles, the bigger ones anyway, um, do, and even some of the smaller ones come with fuel injection now and catalytic converters. The newest, latest little Hondas. They've they've introduced a whole bunch of new, really easy to ride medium and little sized bikes in the last two years, uh, and they they all have ABS and they all have catalytic converters and they all have fuel injection, and they're cheap. They're these, relatively cheap. These aren't eighteen thousand or twenty thousand dollar bikes. These are their five, six, seven thousand dollar models. And if you spreadsheet out the fuel economy and the math for insurance, you can actually make the payments and come out a few hundred dollars a year ahead if you ride a couple hundred. Daisy, if you ride 150 or 200 days a year and you put a couple thousand dollars into helmets, boots, gloves, and riding suits, you end up saving money over even a small car if you, you know, if you use the bike for your transportation. So it can be done. So you're saying at this point, you, you feel that it outweighs what, what one side of that scale outweighs the other pretty clearly. I think so. You know, you can buy environmentally sound motorcycles according to what the regulations are. And you can even buy bikes that exceed the regulations by a significant amount. You can also buy some bikes that are pretty dirty still. The, the 50cc Chinese uh, scooters that, that are sold uh, at hardware stores and stuff, those two-cycle engines, those are terrible. But uh, you know, a late-model uh, BMW with a catalytic converter is about the same as their cars, I think. I'm not sure I have the facts right, but well, they are getting. I mean, California in particular is, is getting tougher on the emissions. Like in 2015, 16, that's one of the drivers that Ural mm-hmm. switched over to uh, fuel injection for 2014 mm-hmm. because of the, the the emission regulations tightening up. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Cool. Cool. Andy, thanks so much for being on with us tonight. Well, thank you guys very much. Uh, it's my pleasure, uh, Chuck. Uh, thank you very much. And. For this opportunity. You're welcome, Andy. You said thank you to me. Yeah. Because you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an Aristich customer. <laughs> thank you guys very much. Make the whole step pants in short. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Make, make the pants short. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye, Andy. Bye. Bye for now. You think he's going to make the whole step pants in short? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think he's biting. I don't think he's taking the hook. Man, man, I think he's writing angry emails right now. <laughs> On the other hand, I do want to take a look at the, the new R three he was talking speaking, about. Speaking, that sounded spiffy. Speaking uh, as as representative for stubby legged men everywhere. Come on, do it. <laughs> have, you, have you tried growing? Uh, it doesn't really work. You tried completing puberty? The one leg is even like a tiny bit shorter than the other. <laughs> I've messed it up so many times. <laughs> I don't think it, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, is what I'm saying. Uh, you know, we don't really have much in classifieds. Just, just no, no, it was a slow week for classifieds. Uh, Charlie sent us a supermoto deal, which is certainly not a trap. Uh-huh, yeah, because it's got uh, no title. No, you know, uh, DRZ 400 SM supermoto. Is Andy missing his book? 
<laughs> Warp 9 rims, rear bronze, front black, blue HID headlight. Uh, goes on to list all of the boring crap about the bike, blah, blah, blah. Fully street legal, signals and all. No title, not stolen. <laughs> yep. Maybe he's a listener. Mm. This bike is totally worth the money. The rims and wheels, almost half of what I'm asking... Go race this thing or tear up the hills. Don't ride it on the street because it's stolen. I do not have the time to get a surety bond and all that stuff for a title. Because stolen. Just been a fun one. Stolen one. This bike is really fun and handles great everywhere. It is super quick. Because you're going to be running from cops. As well. (laughs) (laughs) Number, 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 number. Not stolen. Number. (laughs) Number stolen. No paging. Number stolen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, I like that he lists out all the parts. Yeah. That'll make it convenient when you, you have to chop this bike up to when you, sell it. Oh, or when you have to you have to identify it if you're the actual <laughs> owner of it. Right now the actual owner is doing a search online. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey Can you meet me on this dark street with the bike? I have cash. Okay. How do you take it for a test ride? <laughs> Hold this water, not suspicious at all. <laughs> it's a 20 wrapped in fuck you. By <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, I mean dog poop. Just ignore the fact that it has an antenna sticking out of it and a blinking red light. Please <laughs> <laughs> uh, have already been called. <laughs> nice. I will now wheel you away. <laughs> justice. <laughs> frontier justice. Well, you know who else is good for frontier justice? Huh. Well, you know, the guy shows up in the alley with the DRZ. He's like, so am I still in bike here? Everything's going to be great. What's that? What's that noise? <laughs> Raptor cat! <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> If the guy who bought Raptor Cat is not using it to fight crime, that, what the hell? That is an un- insufferable loss to our country. Uh, <laughs> so wrong on so many levels. Oh, and uh, Kyle sent us a car. Is, is is this thing on? Hello, hello. What was our show again? Um, I'm pretty sure it was not about old sedans. We're not old standard. No, no, no. Here's what we think about the car. We don't. <laughs> Try not to. Thanks for asking, listeners. Ha ha ha! Moving on. Bitch. Listener mail. Ken writes, "Hey guys, hope you're both doing well. The GPZ is slowly coming together. Just finished cleaning and reassembling the crankcase. Neato. My other bike. The reason for this email is a 2009 Harley Street Bob. I'm sorry. I like the bike, but hate the lifestyle Harley pushes." Every bike night has become a caricature of stereotypes, and that's fine if it makes him happy, but I personally hate being a stereotype. I don't even own one piece of Harley apparel. I do have a Buell t-shirt. This is why he doesn't get to hang out with people at the bike nights. <laughs> yeah. Guys! Guys! Guys, can I hang out? Hey. Whatever Buell guy. <laughs> Go sit over there in the Buell team, and there's like one guy over there with a the Ulysses with oil dribbling off the side. <laughs> Hey, holding up. You like mules too? Beer you never heard of. <laughs> I guess this is going on in any group, the adventure riders and the sport bike riders, etc. The thing is, I'm really getting pushed away from Harley because their image over substance. Your thoughts? That's how Harley makes all their money. Yeah, and I guess the other thing about it is, is he's got his Harley bike. I don't hear, oh, and I don't like the Street Bob, and it's not a really great cruiser. 
Yeah. I, I, so I, I think my thoughts are then don't hang out with those people and just ride the wheels off of your street bop. I, uh, maybe he's like, well, he's looking for social interaction. Maybe social interaction with other riders of the same bike. Who cares if they have the same bike, dude? <laughs> Seriously. Like, or, I, or is he just kind of feeling the pressure? You know, I ride a street bob. Everyone's looking at me the same way because could be. Yeah, I guess I'm. I guess I'm a little confused at what the question is. I mean, my thought is, if he likes the street bob ride, the well, yeah, the street I mean, bob. He, he says that he's getting pushed away from Harley because of their image over substance. He's okay. What about the bikes? It's, it's like is the bike good. He he can't get away from it. I ride a Strom. Let's talk about talk about Suzuki. The 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 nadir of customer service on the face of the planet. Shitball signy Chinese scooter companies have better customer service than Suzuki. Suzuki corporate wants you to go fuck yourself once you've bought a bike. I still ride a Suzuki because it's a good bike. Yeah, but that's that's not what's bugging him. What's bugging him is he can't, like, it, he, he looks left and right and he just sees a mockery of what he is. Mm. He's worried he's going to be painted with the same paintbrush. That or he, he just... Those people bug him again. Why are you going to bike night? But yeah. maybe he's just saying, you know, hey, I, I ride a Harley, and it's bugging me how much everyone who rides a Harley is. Because hmm. let's face it, you know, if you ride a Harley, another guy on a Harley comes up to you. That's he true. Likely has a set of assumptions. Yeah, and he's going to start. You know, he's going to talk right to you because he assumes you have something in common. Why which... are you wearing that Buell shirt? <laughs> <laughs> well, Bowl, <laughs> burger. Did they sell out to that Indian company? <laughs> right. Yeah, I get my my advice to be keep riding the wheels off the street, Bob, as long as it's fun, and I ignore find what people. other people are doing with the bike. Yeah, just ride with the people you want to ride with. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that, matter. That one's a bitch a lot. Mike writes: Would it be possible to list the best roads to ride on through Utah? I eighty. Straight across. I'm heading south, going north. I'm planning a trip for when I get back from Afghanistan on my Ulysses. Heading south, going north. But does that does that is that like the north end of a south facing horse kind of thing? Uh, He's on a mule. I don't know. Well, clearly he needs to just take 15 all the way. Yep. Yeah, just take 15 straight through. You don't want to see any of those mountains or anything like that. Honestly, my advice is uh, the Butler map for Utah is quite yes. quite quite accurate. You don't have to get the backcountry one. The, nah. They have two maps. One's the road map. One's the, the backcountry adventure map. Get the road map. Get both if you want. But yeah, the road the road map is extremely accurate. Very the roads are very accurate. Tracks with everything I've found here. Yeah, yeah. And if there was if there was any road that's like a do not miss route, route 12. 12. Yeah. Easy peasy. Got to do that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin sent along a uh, Craigslist thing that's kind of an interesting one. So it's a reply. The original one is, Stupid motorcycle riders, you drunk dumb fucks. All you do is ride around and get in the fucking way while important work while working people are trying to get to work. Just know there are people like me out there who drive 4x4 Dodge Hammer's penis spinning loogies out the window trying to clip your sorry ass and get you down and fuck you up, penis. Ha ha. Get your piece of shit off my road and stop trying to look tough. I'll run you down, fucker. I just want to point out that someone who's called out their 4x4 Dodge as a Hemi yelling at other people to stop trying to look tough is just killing me with the situational <laughs> irony. 
<laughs> and, and the fact that you would go on Craigslist to do this? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, and then there's, of course, a reply. Yes. Really? Guess Mommy forgot to teach you manners. Snuff, a big Dodge tries to run me off the road. All I need is a license plate number. Track it to you. Get your ISP and Craigslist account. Confirm you posted this threat. Put your fucking ass in jail. Or I can just draw my gun when you deliberately try to run me off the road trying to kill me and use the appropriate amount of force to fuck you up. Thank you for the warning. By the way, I don't ride drunk, and I was trying to get work to do. Work, and I was trying to get to work too. In the meantime, I will just keep popping the pimples on my ass till I get to you. You stupid fuck. There's a lot of there's a lot of braggadocio and dick waving going on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, there, there's a lot he could have left out there. You don't, you don't need to go to that. I'm gonna pull my gun. I'm gonna Yeah, here's a hint, folks. The proper response to somebody waving their dick around trying to act tough is not to whip yours out and wave back. Because then you're gonna touch dicks, and oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that unless that's your thing. In yeah, case, you, hey, you good want. on you. You want to touch dicks, but I don't think the guy who's waving his dick first will want to touch dicks. Which might actually make it even funnier. Okay, go touch dicks. <laughs> Moral of the story, everyone touch dicks. <laughs> that got weird fast. <laughs> Gary, listener number five, writes, Hey guys, I'd like to propose a moment of silence for Todd having to part ways with his beloved Ural, and also for Chuck since he got another Buell. <laughs> you, Gary. Oh wait, that wasn't silence. No. <laughs> a moment of silence. <laughs> Since we all know how much Todd just loves mowing his yard, I thought it'd be great if I could find something to put a little more fun in his domicile duties. So, gentlemen, and here I'm using that term loosely, I give you the Adventure Gardening Bike. Keep up the good work. So the Adventure Gardening Bike is yet another inadvisable trike. Did you see it? I yes. See it. Okay. Do we need to bring it up? No. Okay. It's another inadvisable trike with a lawn mowing blade. <laughs> Now, in fairness, if I was, if I really wanted to do a good motorcycle-themed lawnmower, I do like that guy in Vermont did, where I put a CX-500 engine in my riding mower. He says it's really great if you can keep the front wheels on the ground. <laughs> it's really hard to keep the front wheels on the ground. <laughs> Stead writes, I love when people at the grocery store watch me roll my cart up to my bike. They are thinking, he'll never fit all that on the bike. And then I do. Ha-ha! <laughs> Today I had two gallons of milk, one large grape juice bottle, one carton of orange juice, one loaf of bread, a 24-ounce six-pack of Dr. You drink a lot, dude. Oh, my God. And Wait a, a four-pack of toilet paper, clearly unrelated. 16 ounces of half and half, <laughs> and a Snickers bar. You have one thing to eat, and the rest of it you're drinking. Wait a second. I think this is a trap. I think <laughs> Stet is trying to remember what he's supposed to buy after work. <laughs> So he's going to listen to the episode and he'll be like, what the fuck am I buying? Where's Wheel Nerds? Uh, toilet paper, Snickers. Stead must be single. Cause, <laughs> a loaf of bread and a... I don't know. Two, two gallons of milk and a large grape juice bottle sounds a lot like buying for kids. Mm. A couple of kids there. But a loaf of bread and Snickers? I think the Snickers is for him. <laughs> Haven't you figured this one out yet? You buy the junk food at the store, like the Snickers bar, and you eat it really fast before you get home? Well, yeah, but I mean, a loaf of bread? That, that's what he's... And, and toilet paper? Here you go, kids. Make toilet paper sandwiches. <laughs> Dip the bread in the orange juice. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Come on. No wonder you can't spell his name. It is pretty fun going to the supermarket. 
It is. You're putting all kinds of shit on your bike. People are like, ooh. I think the time I, I uh, bungee corded the printer to the back seat of the bike, I gave a few people aneurysms. I'll, I'll, I'll stuff my um, roll top bag in the, in the tail, tail case, mm-hmm. then bust it out and just strap it to the back seat and just start stuffing every. <laughs> Do, 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 play, playing the Tetris music in my head. Do, 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 do. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, that's Dr. Mario. My bad. Yeah. Do, 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 or time traveling. You're Doctor Who. Time traveling evil swing. You're Doctor Who. Fantastic. And that's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. No, you're Doctor Who. <laughs> Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. Or the previous week. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.